Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else fill the wall up with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach, starring Jake and Jeff McClure. Any questions about this if we weren't too clear about this? Inflation is a reality. Frankly, I think it is a, uh, it's certainly not transitory. That's not a good term, but I think it's a temporary reality for it. I don't think it's going to go on for decades. Um, at the end of last hour, I mentioned something that's pretty important. The bond market is signaling, and, and how do we know that? That's because the difference between treasury inflation protected securities, which are at one price, and the regular treasury securities out there at another price. And the spread between them three or four years out, which is one of the reasons we have a, a wiggle in the yield curve, is that the market is expecting inflation three years from now to be about 2.5%. Surveys of people across the country are indicating that they're thinking the same thing. They're thinking about three years out, inflation will come down to 2.5%. And this is, I, this is, that's very, very important, by the way, because inflation is much more behavior-driven than a lot of other areas in our economy. Yeah. And and it's one of those things that leaves me optimistic. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, um, inflation is, interest rates drive demand to some degree. Uh, so does inflation. And they, con they contradict each other. The higher inflation is, and it's high right now, it's reported as being high right now, and you're experiencing it as being high right now. If you think prices are going to go up, during the next year, you will tend to buy something now rather than waiting a year to buy it, which accelerates the economy and causes the economy to go into overheating mode. If you think prices will be lower in a year, which is, by the way, where we were before the pandemic, people right. assumed there would be sales down the road. I'll, I'll, wait, I'll wait to buy my new flat screen television till Christmas because that's when the sales are. Right. I I have a I have a personal representative in the economy who informs me on a regular basis about what prices are likely to do, and I listen to her very carefully. Uh, I have been following her activities now for over half a century, and she's very consistent. This is your wife. Um, yes. Yes. And <laughs> and so I listen to her to find out what's going on in the economy. Right now. She's in. She operates under the assumption that if she waits thirty days to buy something, the price could go up. A couple of years ago, she was in the position of I'm going to wait till they have a sale before I buy it, and that's that's a big difference, and that means inflation is good, still going to go on for a while. Um, on the other hand, there's always more interest, hands. Yes, there are. Uh, mortgage interest rates are now above five percent. Thirty-year mortgage interest rates. And um, that equates with the rise in prices as an annual thing across the board that house houses with a 20% down payment and where, where it was right at 3% and now it's at 5%. That's a 35% increase in the monthly payment on the house. Mm -hmm. That's and if huge. We, if we presume that will continue uh, and rise maybe even a little higher, which I think it will. It'll probably go up to six in my opinion. Just because Which there's not enough houses guess. on the market right. yet. there's The inventory is low, but it's increasing. And that's another thing that's a big worrisome across mm -hmm. the, the country. 
inventories are are increasing right now. More houses are coming on the market and they're staying on the market longer while prices are still going up and interest rates are still going up. So all of those together say there's a cap to this at some point. And there are going to be exceptions. There are certain areas that are likely to continue to rise. And one of the things that I've learned in my decades, now a lot of decades, of watching the economy is that particularly in housing, you get the bullwhip effect. Big ones. And right now there's a shortage of houses. Housing prices are going up. Houses are being built like mad. I mean, they're just not done yet. You may not be aware of it, but uh, even uh, I'm on the planning and zoning commission for the village of Salado and the subdivisions used to be, it was a sleepy job because nobody was doing much of anything. And now everybody is doing a lot of everything. A lot of houses are being built. A lot of houses are planned. A lot of subdivisions are being uh, planned and put in. Uh, and, and we are slow compared with Williamson and other places around the, the, yeah. so the United when, States. When I say that there's certain areas that are going to continue to have their prices go up, those are areas with that are experiencing abnormal growth. Uh, so places like Denver and Austin and not so much... New York City, not so much Boston. Um, what I'm trying to say here, and I think this is important, is the housing boom will peak and the economy will level off and eventually go through a recession and slow down. And when it does, the builders will keep building. And then we'll have a glut of houses. And the housing prices will come down. And it's hard to imagine housing prices at this point coming down people's memory about housing prices is astonishingly short because it really, to me, 2007 through nine was not that long ago when housing prices dropped dramatically. It's going to happen again. And it you, you going to go through a cycle. 15 years is a very long time in most people's memory. <laughs> and it was 15 years ago that we had our last bad issue with, with housing. And it, we're probably several years away from seeing anything like a major downturn, but several years being one to two is... See, the, the housing bust of the 1980s is the one I re- remember with the most clarity. Uh, that was a couple of years ago, too. Yeah, so uh, they, they come in like 20-year intervals. And if you say, all right, about 20 years after the 1980s, we had, a little about 25 years after the 1980 bust, we had a bust in housing again. And that means that we're coming up on uh, the 20 year mark soon. And we're going to see parts of the nation that have the bust early. Like in, in Texas, this is, this is one that shocks people. This is really shocking. The housing bust hit Austin before it hit anywhere else in the country. And it was bad. People are shocked by this because they think of Austin as this high growth place. And, and so just to give you a bit of very recent history, very recent as opposed to 500 years ago. In Austin, <clears throat> the savings and loans crisis of the late 19, uh, of the 1990s was still affecting the Austin real estate market. Uh, the, it had some of the lowest real estate prices in the nation at the turn of the century. And people are shocked by this. Well, that's part of the reason why it was such a big growth center, because it had a very highly educated population at UT. And the land was cheap and the people were working for cheap. So all of these tech companies started coming to Austin. 
And then we had the dot-com crash. And Samsung, which is now, we're talking about them starting this big chip plant in Taylor, they bought a big facility and built up, they almost finished it in downtown Austin. And it had to be destroyed seven years later to put in a a federal building because it was sitting there as a half-completed construction project for seven years after the dot-com crash. Eventually, Samsung sold it at a massive loss to the United States government who put in a federal building there and they had to destroy it. Prices of real estate in Austin were just really low while San Francisco was taking off. So then tech companies start looking around and they start buying in Austin. So the prices in Austin were already low when the recession hit, the Great Recession hit. On the private side in the residential market, a lot of people went underwater at that point. But it didn't last very long because the growth was still focused here. And people tend to forget what was the seed of the growth, even if it wasn't that long ago. That The seed of the growth was highly educated, low-cost employees and low-cost real estate in Austin. That was the seed of the growth in San Francisco, too. It was the seed of the growth in Chicago and in Detroit before they became big industrial centers and their prices priced everybody out. It's it's a cycle. (laughs) You can actually see the beginning of the end of that cycle. Yeah. All you have to do is try to drive to someplace in Austin almost any time. Right. And you realize that the infrastructure in Austin has reached saturation and their mass transit is there. And they're building more, they're building more, but the end result of the building more is still talking five to 10 years out. Uh, They don't have, they don't have BART. They don't have a Bay Area rapid transit system. There's no way of getting from the airport to the hotels downtown uh, using a a rapid transit system. That's one of the Uh, things that they're building, but that's, that is the issue is that they should have built it. 10 years ago when the bonds were rejected by the citizens because they didn't need it yet. So this is is normal. Texas economy is booming right now compared to the rest of the country and compared to the rest of the world. And we're really happy about that. But I can also tell you the fact that we rejected the, the, the corridors, the trans Texas corridor and trans Texas corridors is eventually going to slam the brakes on in Texas. Uh, It's already getting there. I, Yesterday, tried. I actually drove from Salado to Round Rock and back yesterday. That's north of Austin for you, uh, national and international listeners. And it, I never was able to get up to the speed limit on Interstate 35. It was jammed with traffic and trucks. It is at. It was running at capacity. And when you have a Friday, admittedly, it was Good Friday in the middle of the day when a transportation system is running at maximum capacity the growth capacity from there is extremely limited right so Um, what that says is that with the prices of real estate rising the reason why they're rising is because people are trying to get denser toward the center because the transportation is so limited so you have this big boom in real estate very close to the center that's kind of spreading out. But the same reason that brought all these people to Austin is going to bring the next generation of new growth somewhere else based on a highly educated population with low cost and um, low cost in real estate. 
So you add that together, and at some point, just like San Francisco, you can't keep growing at the rate you did. At some point, you reach saturation. And Austin isn't there yet. It's, I mean, the fact that we had 71,000 new residents in Williamson County, just north of Austin, in one year last year, says that the growth rate isn't going to slow down. People don't say, I'm going to move to Austin in five years and then not do it. And they make that decision in advance based on prices. So we still have kind of a lag between then and, the, and them saying, hey, I can't afford to live in Austin. And that's going to happen. It's, it's, it's going to happen everywhere, but Austin will probably be behind the rest of the country in its drop. It'll probably stay up longer because the growth is still concentrated there. And that's just interesting little pieces of information. There's going to be growth in certain areas, but demographically across the United States, our population is shrinking. So if you think of a shrinking population and a rising value of real estate, long term, those two things don't line up. Uh, if we look at Japan, uh, where we've seen an aging population, a lot of houses are being given away in small villages because they've got no one to inherit them or no one wishes to inherit them. And they're not bad houses. There's just too many houses because the population has been shrinking. And if you go west or east very far of any of the major north-south interstate corridors in the United States, or north or south of any of the west to east corridors. As soon as you go about 20 miles from the highway, you'll see houses with trees growing through them because we're getting dense along the major corridors and leaving the rural areas to the very large farming facilities. And all of this makes sense demographically. And if you understand what's happening, uh, it, it lets you make a better decision on where you wish to buy a house or when you wish to sell a house. Anyway, we've, I think we've kicked out that one enough. Uh, I bet you have other subjects to talk about. Well, one last thing about inflation. We are either, I think, this is a guess at this point. Uh, it, it's what we call a scientific wild-ass guess. Um, a swag. I think we're either at or near the peak in inflation at this point. Now, that could go haywire if China continues in its shutdown mode and falls apart. It could go haywire if things get worse in Eastern Europe. But uh, I think we're pretty close to Moody's did a pretty good job of, of isolating the causes of inflation. And the underlying, if we remove the supply chain issues, which are external, and the war issues, which are external, uh, inflation was up 3.4% compared with a year ago. Now, that's higher than the 2% the Fed wants, but it averages out over time. And I think we will see by the end of the year, significantly lower inflation will still be going on. We'll still have inflation. It'll still be above 2%, I think. And we'll still have bulges that hit as we move through this. It's just yeah. going to happen. And the bulges are going to happen... Like right now, we have a big shutdown in Shanghai, which is going to cause the prices of used cars to go back up again because certain manufacturers are slowing down production because they don't have parts. It, that's not yeah. 
in any way permanent as the supply chain moves and whatever happens in China, this is not a permanent thing that's happening in China as far as a lockdown in Shanghai. At some point, they open up again. We don't know when that is. They don't know when that is. That's the deal. There's an interesting um, bit of inflation that probably doesn't uh, make the headlines anywhere. Um, U.S. imports and U.S. exports are priced uh, over the 12-month period and one-month period by the Commerce Department. And it's interesting. Yes, the price of imports has gone up. By the way, that includes fuel. Uh, and, and it increased 2.6% in March, and, and it's up like 10%. Uh, I'm sorry, 12, let's see, imports advanced 12.5% for a one-year period. So the, the price of things we're bringing in the United States, including fuel, is up 12.5%. Here's the interesting point, though. Our export prices are up 14.6%. We're raising the price of our exports faster than the price of imports is coming up. And we've been doing this now for a couple of years, and it continues onward. That's one of those really long-term things we look at that's pretty impressive. Basically, the rest of the world is willing to pay more, willing to, to see the prices go up more for the things that are made in the United States then we're paying increases for, for things that we're importing into the United States. Right. That is one of the real positives you want to see in the long-term economy. It's, it's a real plus. Uh, and, and there are pluses out there. They don't make the headlines, but there are pluses out there and there's pluses all over the place. Consumer spending is continuing to rise. Now there was a, uh, continue, consumer spending was up last month and the month before, um, retail spending specifically. Now the negatives people were if you if you if you dig into this there are pundits who are saying no it really wasn't up because inflation was up and we're just barely covering the the cost of inflation that's not true if you look at the consumer price index a big chunk of the consumer price index is the rising value of homes that are already owned by people that does not affect your monthly spending right. well a little bit because our property taxes went up a bunch last year. Yeah, because property the price tax. of our house went up. But another part uh, of that is used car purchasing. And right. if you didn't buy a car, you didn't experience that. So there's chunks of the inflation market that are going at the fastest amount that if you experienced, you experienced it in a very bad way. But most people didn't buy a used car last year. And the Fed comes out with, well, they come out, actually, the, the Fed doesn't do it. It's the Federal Reserve that comes out with a different inflation number a little later in the month, uh, which is the the consumption index, uh, which is not weighted mechanically towards the price of your house if you choose to, actually, included in the consumer price index is the potential rental price of your house, which has little effect on most people's lives. Um, but when the when the consumption index comes out, Later in the month, that is a more accurate view of what real inflation is, and it's worth watching for. And in you do the core PCI, which is the consumer, the 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 actual per, product, you know, what is it? P, personal consumption index. Right. That's the real inflation, and it's the thing to watch as it comes out. Uh, what else we got to talk about? Let's see. There's bound to be other things. There's lots of stuff. What one of the things I wanted to hit on was China. Not in the in the date bar scene. I'm not hitting on China for real. No, um, no, you shouldn't. You shouldn't. So, no. uh, what's a country like you doing in a place like this? I don't know. Um, China is worried 
They're, they are quite worried about what's going on right now. Their economy is slowing and may be actually in recession for the per- first time in 50 years. Um, they've cut reserve requirements at their banks. What does that mean? Um, they're also not raising interest rates. What does that mean? Why are they cutting reserve requirements? Because right in the middle of this lockdown fiasco that's going on, they're also having a real estate fiasco where they overbuilt. It's very much like what we were talking about just a moment ago was a normal cycle anywhere. They over overbuilt. They have lots and lots and lots of buildings that are empty. And a lot of the companies that built those buildings are not able to pay their debts. But in order to get out of it, they have to get new loans. And the banks in China are state-owned. So it's the People's Bank of China. And by people's, it means the Communist Party, because that's how all people are in China. So the, the Bank of China has said to the banks, you can lower the amount that you're required to have on hand. That's the reserve requirement. What is that about? It prevents banks from loaning out too much money. If you have an old school bank, just think the It's a Wonderful Life savings and loan, Jimmy Stewart. And this is the Christmas movie, the black and white Christmas movie that everyone's been forced to watch for the last, what, 60 years that that thing has been out there? And it's yep. watched every year. Um, it's a beautiful story. But the scene where the savings and loan is being mobbed by people and they all want their money out, it's just it's a savings and loan. It's not a bank, but it's a really good example. It's performing a lot of the same functions as a bank. It's giving mortgages. It's taking deposits. It's paying interest. And he has this big talk about your money's not here. It's in Wilma's house. It's in Jan's house. And he talks the crowd down and they all trust him with their assets and they all go home and the bank, the savings and loan doesn't fail. But he's all upset because they'd lost some deposits and they had to find them and all that good stuff. The reserve requirement was input because of that, not because of that movie, but because that movie is a representation of something that literally happened. The runs on the bank that took place went because people would go up to the bank and they'd say, hey, I'd like $100, please. And I realize that's a big withdrawal for the time, but I need $100. And the bank would say, well, we don't have $100 on hand. Would you take 20? And that caused them to be fearful for some reason. I think it would cause anybody to be fearful when the bank that holds your money says you can't have it, or at least only a little bit of it. So the regulators came in afterwards and said, all right, banks, you're not allowed to loan out so much money that you can't meet a normal demand for cash. Those are called reserve requirements. And the Federal Reserve, there's, you see the common word in that, in that name. Yep. That's yep. why they're called the Federal Reserve. It's one of their major obligations is to make sure that the banks are following their reserve requirements. Oftentimes, the reserves are on deposit at the Federal Reserve for those banks so that when you go to get the money, they know it exists. They give it to you. What's happening in China is they're loosening those requirements because the banks aren't getting paid on their loans from these real estate companies. So they have less money on hand 
And if they didn't lower the reserve requirements, they would have to shut down a bunch of banks. This is problematic. <laughs> this is a bad thing. And the fact that they're cutting reserve rules in the middle of a lockdown, in the middle of a real estate bubble popping, it's really not good news for the economy of China. This is a, the, the little moves that they're making are not good moves to prevent disaster. They're good moves. It's like you're going down the hill, you're running down the hill, you start realizing I'm running so fast that if I stop running, I'm going to fall on my face. And the answer to that is run faster. Uh, that works unless there's a cliff. <laughs> we don't know what this slope looks like and there may be a cliff ahead for China. Uh, what does that have as a, as a meaning for us? There's a great deal of potential meanings. The, the crystal ball is not at all clear on that one. But bad news in the, in the Chinese economy is likely not going to lead to a lot of good news for us. And that's, that is a, that's the kind of the biggest warning that I have on the a horizon for our economy is that if China's economy really takes a, a pounding over this, our economy is going so fast that we're likely to, to speed up in a slower way where they may actually hit recession and Europe might be going into recession right now because of oil and gas and because of all of the prices that are going up and the increased spending that's going into defense hasn't hit the people's paychecks yet. So all of that, all of that good you, news mixed with bad news. Let's, let's throw a little warning out there. Um, we had a fellow, a person contact our office who was under the impression that someone was offering a 7% guaranteed annuity rate in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. We get that fairly regularly. There is no such thing. There's a, uh, there are not, guaranteed rates, but they are not what people think they are. There are annuity companies that are offering rates for limited periods of time that run between two and a little over 3%. They're out there, and they bear some significant investigation. But there's a couple of things, to, but they don't offer them forever. And, for instance, right now, I was just looking up the best 10-year uh, fixed annuity rates in there at about a little over 3%, 3.25, 3.15. Now, there's a couple of things to remember about that. Anybody that's offering more than that, something, well, they're lying to you. American Express just got hammered over that, by the way. Um. And the second thing is that's important to remember. And it was one of the questions as I was looking there, the little questions people ask, are they, are they insured by the FDIC? No. When you buy an annuity, it is backed by the claims paying capacity of the company you bought it from. Now, in some cases, a state guarantee fund may back that. In some cases, it doesn't back that. And because it's backing it right now doesn't mean it will back it when and if the company goes under. One of the things to be very, very, very much aware of is annuities that guarantee rates or say we will pay you this much are not going to be above about a little over 3%. The second thing to be remember, and this is really critical, is if in this falling bond market and the bond market has been the value of a portfolio of bonds has been going into a nosedive recently. I recently looked at a bond fund 
that was down 12.5% in the last six months. Uh, and their bond portfolios that uh, that are like that, that are, that are owned by insurance companies. The risk of that company, of you putting money into an annuity company and failing, is very real. And this is one of those things that people don't remember. Back in the 70s and 80s, I remember very well, when interest rates were rising, annuity companies were failing. And people got sometimes got back as little, and I actually saw this happen, as 40 cents on the dollar they put into the company. In other words, they loaned a company, and let's just say $100,000. They put $100,000 into a fixed annuity, and it was high interest paying. It was really, really wonderful. And they wound up with $40,000 ultimately many years later. That's a reality that can happen. So when somebody is offering a higher interest rate than you can get at the bank, a higher interest rate than the treasury is paying, and they guarantee it, the treasury guarantees their their interest rate, the banks guarantee their interest rates, you are assuming some kind of higher risk. And it's really important to recognize that that higher risk is there. The mere fact that annuity companies have not failed in a long time, well, there's a very good reason for that. Interest rates have been falling since the early 1980s. When interest rates fall, the value of a bond portfolio rises. Annuity companies tend to keep big bond portfolios. When interest rates rise, bond portfolio values fall. Now, that's not guaranteeing. That's, I'm not saying that every insurance company is going to be in trouble or anything like that, but there is a risk there. And I think it's very important that you recognize the risk if somebody tries to sell you an annuity. It's not insured by the federal government. It may or may not be covered by a state at any given point. And if it's covered now, it may not be covered when you need it later on. And anybody that's offering above about a little over 3% is either misinformed or lying to you. Those are kind of three things to bear in mind if you're considering this. We're, we're entering into one of those periods very much like the late 70s and early 80s that I remember far too well when uh, interest rates started doing things that made people uncomfortable and people began to do weird things as a result. So just keep that in mind as you bear forward in life. Right. And we're out of time for this last two hours. And this has been uh, the personal wealth coach. So we're, we are all eldering, all of us, uh, hopefully. 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 Yeah, other than that, other than that you die. Um, but we've got to jump into some disclosures. We've got one first one. We're well, even though if this is the Saturday, April 16th, if you heard about the tornado through Salado, Texas, um, we did not experience the t- tornado directly, but the effects of the tornado were definitely felt and so everybody's fine and that we know and are aware of. There were 23 injuries. Everybody out there in the village seemed to be okay. No deaths, which is pretty amazing because there was some big devastation. We One had a person in critical condition, though. Yes. We had hailstones, softball, grapefruit-sized hailstones, which just ruin your day if you're taking a stroll. That's that's. Don't take a stroll in a golf ball and above size hailstorm and if it starts talking softball you need to wear some like football pads or something maybe more maybe more (laughs) anyway um so that's the first disclosure next is that uh this is not only a radio program the the personal wealth coach is also the name of an investment advisory firm registered with the sec it is Uh, it is um we're not offering business on the air for sure. We're talking about generalities and 
education. The reason is because as fiduciaries, we're not allowed to give advice in a non-private setting. Uh, we're also, we also need to know our clients uh, thoroughly before we give them advice. And that is not easy to accomplish in a podcast or a radio program. It's just, I don't know, I, I suppose we only have a few listeners. So, I mean, we could just get to know all of them and have this communication going back. No, we, we actually do have quite a good number of listeners. Well, I can say that we don't pay for this radio program, nor are we paid to do this radio program. Uh, KTEM, we do advertise on KTEM for the radio program. And so does KTM advertise on KTM for the radio program. Uh, we have a little conflict of interest in that we have gotten a few clients over the years. Uh, from, from the radio program. Right. From the radio program. Our primary benefit for us to do the radio program, other than the fact that we are weird, uh, spending hours each week preparing for it and then uh, doing the radio program on Saturday morning instead of doing something else, is we enjoy doing it. And we also have, by report, at least three clients that listen to it. Yes. And hopefully we're educating people. I mean, we do get a lot of emails from people thanking us for doing it. So we appreciate that. Well, that's, that is our main objective here is to get financial education out there as well as we can two hours a week. But uh, let's see. The next thing is that you want to do the deem. Do the deem. This is... This is, as Jake said, an educational radio program. We don't give investment advice. And the educational information we provide on this program, see how my words are getting longer? Yes. Um, educational information we provide. Normally, I would say the stuff we say. But now, you're speaking a, faster and using bigger words, so this is definitely yeah. a disclosure. So go ahead. Monster, monster, monster. No, um, Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Monster Sunday, truck. Sunday, 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 Sunday. Right. Uh, the information we provide on this educational radio program has been obtained from sources we believe to be reliable. However, we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. You missed using the word deem. You said believe. I said believe. Oh, oh I should have said deem. We're working hard on bringing okay. this word back into normal vocabulary of the English language, and you're skipping it. The poor word. Sk Take believe and translate it into deem. The information we provide on this radio program has come from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. I deem that to a statement to be good. That's a, there we go. Thank you. Now, we've used deem probably more than you have heard the rest of the week combined. And right. We have, unless uh, you're a lawyer. Unless uh, you're a lawyer. And then you probably deem that we have not used deem enough. <laughs> 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 the deemed lawyers uh, lies deemed lies and statistics yes um, if you wish to contact us you're certainly welcome to do so we do manage money for we're, we're wealth managers is what we do for people of relatively high net worth and you can contact us locally at 254-947-1111 or you can reach that same line toll free at 1-800-914-7526 that's 800-914-PLAN you can go to our webpage thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com where you can sign up for our newsletter read our newsletters you can uh, listen to radio programs you can find our uh, podcasts anywhere where podcasts are found uh, and you can uh, Email us directly or contact us through the contact form. Our email addresses are jeff or jake at tpwc.com. Thanks for listening to The Personal Wealth Coach.